A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 111 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today. And with me, as always, my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Just another day in paradise, talking baseball in the Toolshed. So can't get much better than this, and looking forward to a good episode today. For sure. And got some live looks, both of us, yesterday and throughout this week. Which we'll, we'll talk about all that on Monday. Uh, I got the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, one of my favorite names, uh, in town. So I got some live looks at Alvarez and Mauricio and Beatty. Again, I've already saw Beatty in the AFL and some pitchers as well. Chris getting some high A Red Sox prospects. It was funny because at my game, I was I'm in Maine, and so I texted Chris. I think I can't remember if it was during the game or after, how cold it was like low 40s. The wind chill was ridiculous. The wind was whipping around. Me and my buddy who came to the game with me were freezing. And I texted Chris. He's like, yeah, I, was, I got sunburned. And I'm like, yeah, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> like 40 degrees warmer down there. And then I won't say tropical. I, I don't think South Carolina is tropical, yeah. but like just the warmer weather down there in South Carolina. Yeah, we're rolling about 70 every day now. So it's been been pretty nice. I can't complain. We're like... St- trending in like the low to mid 50s right now but it's been so windy the last like basically all basically all of spring so that definitely makes it worse than actually if there's there no wind it would have been fine last night but just that wind whipping around was just a little much but we'll talk about all those live looks on, on monday like i mentioned we got a really full episode today more of a prospect heavy episode this episode but before we get into all that the usual housekeeping you can find us on Twitter, Chris at RotoClegg. I'm at AirCross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check it out on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season. And of course, check out all the other great work we have going on at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. A lot of good stuff there, but let's get into this episode. Even though, even though it is a prospect-heavy episode, like I mentioned, we're going to start on the major league side of things with a guy that some considered the SP1 overall this year, not me. I have Corbin Burns as my SP1. That's working out very well so far. But Garrett Cole obviously was in that discussion. Didn't fault anybody for taking him number one overall. But through his first three starts, Cole has not looked very Cole-like. The one thing, you go to Savant page, the whiff rate is great. The whiff rate is actually up. Uh, I think largely in part he ditched the sinker out of the cutter, which so far has a 53.3% whiff rate. So I think that has a lot to do with it, but everything else is just a lot of blue balls here. He's overall the K rates down walk weights way up. Spin rates are about in line uh, with uh, his spin rates last year, but man, Chris Garrett Cole has not looked good so far. Not at all. And it's kind of frustrating. I have him in, 
Tout Wars, and somehow I'm sitting in first place in Tout Wars despite him being my first round pick. So that's fun. I have him in two dynasty leagues that are pretty big dynasty leagues. So I'm kind of hoping for the best, but it hasn't looked great. So I don't know. It's, you know, last night was obviously pretty frustrating a, a day where he really could have gotten back on board, you know, facing, I would say, pretty easy lineup, but he just didn't get the job done. I mean, they, he, they faced the Tigers and then Hobby Bias was not in the lineup. He, he struck out the side in the first, if I'm not mistaken, and then he walked five in the second and never made it out of the second inning. So he walked in both those runs, I think. Like, I don't know. It's interesting. The whiff rate you mentioned is, is still there, which is, is positive because the strikeouts, you know, are a little lower this year. He's only striking out 24% of hitters, but I do expect that to trend upward despite the lower rate that we're seeing right now. He's just getting hit hard and he's walking too many batters. And you have to wonder, I mean, he struggled since the sticky stuff ban last year, not to this extent, but you have to wonder, like, is this a, a real thing for him? I'm hoping not, but it, it hasn't looked great so far. The good news is it's a small sample, and right. really his walk rate wasn't that bad until last night. You know, you look, and he's walked seven batters on the season. Five of them were last night in one inning, so that kind of factors into a little bit. But still, overall, it's just not been great for him, so we need to see him really take a step forward and get back on track. I don't know what he's got to do, but I know he wants to get back on track. I know the Yankees obviously do for the amount that they're paying him and fantasy managers as well. He was a consensus first round pick. So he really needs to get things going. I need him to get going for various reasons in fantasy, but what's wrong with him? I don't have a good answer to be honest. <laughs> so as a Red Sox fan and someone that I believe doesn't have any shares in redraft or dynasty of Caracol. He can just keep right on stinking <laughs> up the whites. I don't, I'm enjoying this. I think I, I don't think I do have any shares. If I do, it's one, but I'm pretty sure I have no shares. So I am enjoying this so far. And yet I think definitely the sticky stuff had has, has been playing a large part in this. Maybe not so much with the spin rates. So I mentioned they're pretty comparable to last year, but command, like you've seen the, his command has been terrible. It's four team command. He's been leaving it way over the heart of the plate way too often. Slider command, again, leave it, he's been hanging the slider a lot as well. Changeup has been kind of all over the place. The cutter's been all right. Curveball has been sporadically used, but there hasn't really, outside of the cutter, there hasn't been really any offering that he's commanded well so far. And yeah, he's been, he's been getting hit really hard. Like you mentioned, 13.3% barrel rate this year and a 53.3% hard hit rate allowed in addition to that 14% walk rate. So Obviously, he's not like this bad. Like Garrett Cole is going to get better, but is Garrett Cole going to be the Garrett Cole of old? I think that's a valid question. And I put up a lot of polls from the uh, our Toolshed account today. It's kind of saying like, hey, who would you rather have between? I think I put up like five or six different pitchers. I get all, all different polls, but against Garrett Cole, and a lot of people were still taking Garrett Cole, but. It was it was close. Like I get it against Musgrove, sixty one percent Cole against Webb, sixty one percent Cease, sixty six percent Cole Rodone, fifty nine percent Cole Sandy, sixty two percent Cole Woodruff actually went sixty three percent Woodruff. So it's definitely you know I don't know if he, is he top five rest of the year, top ten, top twenty. I don't know. It's, I think, uh, I, what a red flag. You got to think he gets back to top ten, maybe not. SP one, but yeah, back in top 10 seems that's kind of where I was thinking. Like, yeah, that's why, that's why I was trying to take guys that are like around 10th, give or take like eight yeah. to 14 range. And for those polls. Yeah. I think that's fair. De definitely top. I see still a fantasy ace. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Would you move him from Musgrove right now in a dynasty league? Dynasty? No. Redraft. Maybe, but Dyn dynasty, I still would prefer. Cole, but can we just for a second talk about how freaking underrated Joe Musgrove? Hey, listen, I had him top ten. <laughs> I had him top ten preseason, so I was in. I was on board, and we talked about this in an episode where, like, what, like, why were people still discounting him after what he did? Like, he was a significantly different pitcher after his move to San Diego, and it was clear. Like, all that was made very clear last year with what he did, and people just weren't buying in. I, I don't get it, but you're right. I think that he's he's easily an ace, in my opinion. Oh, and people, sure. yeah, people were trying to discount like what he did. He had three one eight ERA in thirty one starts last year, one hundred eighty one innings, so he eight innings up. 
up to strikeout rate significantly at 203 strikeouts in just those 180 innings. He's probably going to throw close to 200 this year. Yeah. And I don't see why he doesn't post 225 strikeouts with an ERA close to three. Like his whip right now is, is 0.74. And last year it was 108. Like I think he's going to be have a whip close to one, which this is all ace level stuff. Like he is it the is. best starter in the Padres rotation. And I don't think there's a question about that. Nope. I totally agree. And the one thing I think I could pinpoint or the only thing I could think of actually as the why he's still getting underrated is like, he doesn't have like that one huge like whiff rate pitch, right? He doesn't have like, you know, the McClanahan yeah. and the cease whiff rate stuff. We're like, Ooh, look at that. That's sexy. It's like, you know, a lot of 30 some odd percent, you know, whiff rate pitches, but he has six offerings that he uses at least like, I think it was the lowest was like 8% or something like that. He can mix very well. So yeah, I think that's the only thing I, I could pinpoint, but yeah, he is, you know, maybe he's never gonna be top five, but definitely right around top 10. Absolutely. And I agree. He is the best pitcher in that San Diego Padres rotation for fantasy purposes. And I don't think it's that close. No, Darvish is way too inconsistent, in my opinion. Yeah, Darvish, I think I'd have to, to pull up my pitcher rankings here, uh, which I actually can. I think Darvish is in the 30s for me. Snell, like in the 30s or 40s. And yeah, Musgrove for me is right now, yeah, right around top 10 overall. Let's see. I have Musgrove 10 next on the list. Oh, I got to scroll a little bit. Darvish actually have at 40. Manaya 43, Snell 44. Yeah, so it's it's not even close. Like Musgrove, and those are all good arms, obviously, but Musgrove is better and more consistent, much more consistent than any of those arms. So, yeah, if you can go and get, like, if you could trade a Garrett Cole right now and get a Joe Musgrove and get, like, a solid second piece, maybe get, like, a buy low and, like, a Kirloff or a Vaughn thrown in there as well, I think that'd be something I might entertain on Dynasty Leagues for sure. The other bit of MLB news here. Josh Stamont in Kansas City has gotten the last two saves, which I think everybody that drafted Scott Barlow fairly heavily, including myself, I do have a few shares of Scott Barlow. looks like they're using him more on the high leverage, you know, seventh, eighth inning, you know, when you need outs type of role and going with Stamont in the ninth, he's gotten their only two saves so far. So... It looks like the uh, it's a little changing of the guard there in Kansas City, Chris. If you haven't been paying attention, his velo was down five yeah. miles an hour last night. It is trended. This is Barlow, not Stallmount. Sorry, Barlow's velo is trended downward all season, every game. And last night it was he was sitting at ninety as opposed to last year at ninety five. He may not be used in high leverage situations for long if he ain't on the mound pitching, which highly concerns me. I do think it's Stallmount. I, I don't have much Barlow. I drafted some Stallmount late just. In speculation, too, yeah. that he could earn the spot, but yeah, I think it's becoming more and more clear. I think that he's Stallmont's going to earn the ninth inning versus Barlow is just kind of while he hasn't been you know terrible this year. I mean, he's actually been pretty good. He's a one five nine ERA, but that velo just really really scares me. And that drop is not is not nothing. Like that's a huge drop in velocity. So I think those things have to be monitored. Very, very closely. So, yeah, give me, give me Josh Dalmont. He's probably out there in leagues. Like I would go. Oh, out he is. I looked early. I looked earlier. I still have a. I have a couple of leagues over on Yahoo, which obviously is much more redraft focus over there. And I believe he was like eighteen, right around twenty percent rostered as of. I think it was it was late last night when I was looking. That's probably gone up. He's probably to mid to upper twenties now. But yeah, he's still available in at least two thirds of leagues yep. for the most part. So yeah, definitely go out and get Stalmont because I think he could be, you know, eh, solid. The back end RP two, yeah, I think that's I think definitely so. fair. He he gets the strikeouts, not not elite strikeouts, but he gets a good strikeout rate. And yeah, and with Barlow, real quick, five miles an hour. Like if it was two miles an hour, I'd be like, all right, you know, it's short in spring training, still ramping up. But five miles an hour makes me think that there's an injury here, and he's going to go in the IL pretty soon. Yep, doesn't doesn't um, it? I'm not confident that he's on the mound much longer. Yeah, like I said, two miles an hour. Okay, ramping up, whatever. But yeah, five miles an hour, that's not just ramping up. Like that's that's looking it's like yeah, yeah, that's sounding like maybe something I don't I don't know, elbow, shoulder, who knows? But forearm. But yeah, that's a, I almost be willing to bet some money that, you know, within the next week or two, that Barlow might be on the IL for whatever reason. So all right. Moving over here to the prospect side of things. We have a lot of prospects I have to talk about today. Some prospects to stash, some early season standouts, some notable to, you know, prospects that are struggling so far. So let's start with prospects to stash in redraft leagues. 
both Chris and I have put out articles about this topic. Chris over on Fantasy Pros, uh, I think it was right before the season, if I don't, if I recall correctly, and yeah. then me, me last week on Fantrax HQ, and in my weekly prospect update that'll come out every Tuesday on Fantrax HQ, I'll have uh, an update, update a top ten in there as well. So check that out too. So let's, we figured we'd go over that real quick here. So my top ten, and we'll see if Chris agrees or not. So I had O'Neill Cruz one. I did have Mackenzie Gore, too, but obviously he's up. So now it's Jose Miranda, two, Adley Rushman, three, Riley Green, four, Tristan Cassis, five, Grayson Origa, six, Nolan Gorman, seven, Alec Thomas, eight, Brennan Davis, nine, and Vidal Brujan, ten. Though, Tristan Cassis, he's been on fire to start the season down there in AAA. Already has, I think, three or four home runs, hitting over 300, as many walks as strikeouts. He might be moving up this list here, and Bobby Dahlbeck struggling, too, so... I wouldn't be surprised if they made the switch here in Boston. Maybe not like this week or next week, but I was thinking June for Cassis. Maybe it's May now. Maybe they go, you know, by Memorial Day if if these trends continue and Cassis is still raking, Dahlbeck's still struggling and you know striking out every you know second or third plate appearance. They could make that switch. But uh, so, Chris, what are your uh, thoughts on this top ten? I think it's good. I think O'Neill Cruz should be. You know, ready for long. He's getting actually work in the outfield, which is interesting. I think they're just looking for anywhere they can put him. Though right now he's not forcing his hand. He's only hitting 194 in AAA. Yeah, that so, doesn't help. <laughs> no, if you want to earn your spot on the major league roster, that's not really the way to go. The contact rate's below 70% right now, and he's striking out 27% of the time. The good news is when he's been on base, he's stealing. He's already stolen four times this year, been caught once. So he is walking some. He is getting some base hits. No home runs to speak of yet, but that's okay. So Cruz, I think when when ready and when he, which you know, the crazy thing is he dominated spring training. So I say when ready, like he was ready. I thought during spring training, he kind of proved that. Sure. But who knows with them? Miranda, I think, is a good second option for sure. He's he's kind of struggled as well, actually. Gone down AAA and hitting two twenty nine, just a two fifty five OBP. And you look, and last year he was right around 400 OBP for the entire season between double and triple A. But Miranda does have a home run so far, just one, um, struggling a little bit. The contact rate is fine, though. It's not what it was last year. He was 85 to 87% last year, 75% right now. Small sample sizes, still worth noting. But with these guys struggling right now, it's not like they're forcing the major league's team's hands to get them up on the roster, which can be a little bit concerning, I think, because – when you're not really dominating, the team doesn't have much of an incentive to bring you up. And it feels like both these clubs are ones with the Pirates and Twins are ones that will kind of hold them back until they can't, like until they can't anymore. So uh, I think that's worth watching for sure. Rutschman's, when he's healthy, he'll be ready to go. There, there's no question about that. When he gets healthy, he'll be on the team, I think, and, and be rocking and rolling. Riley Green's another one. He would have made the team out of camp, same as Rutschman. But the biggest thing with them, is health. Once they get healthy, they're fine. I think Casas is is well on his way. You know, yeah, <laughs> he's he's been dominant. I don't know if they wait until June. Like this is a team that's looking to compete, and can they keep affording to run Dahlbeck out there if he's struggling as bad as he is? And Casas is forcing the hand, unlike everybody else. So he's one that could be up before long, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is. So that's that's a good one. He he may bump to number one on this list if we did it in a week. You know, if we if yeah. we re-ranked him in a week, I could see him being number one. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez is another one. I don't like, what does Baltimore want to do? Is he ready? Absolutely. What does Baltimore want to do? Well, not so sure. So that's my concern with him is that they just kind of hold him back until they don't have to, to worry about it anymore. Like they're going to try to get as much team control as they can. I think Gorman forcing hands too, but where does he play? That's what it really comes down to with Gorman. I don't know how he fits in this lineup, even though he is, you know, he's doing everything you want to see. And he's probably the hottest hitter in the minor leagues right now. How he fits in the lineup, I'm not totally sure. It could take an injury to get Gorman in. But, I mean, obviously first and third are out. That's He's moved to second base kind of for that reason because they do have Goldie and Arenado there long term. They're running Tommy Edmond at second. Edmonds actually been better than we expected. He's hit three home runs already, 355 average, 412 OBP in a small sample. Like it's hard to say that he's going to take Edmonds spotting time soon. 
Edmund can kind of play all over the board. So could Edmund move a position and open a spot for Gorman? Because really the only place Gorman fits in here is at a designated hitter spot or at second. You also have Albert Pujols is DHing a lot. You've got Corey Dickerson DHing in the platoon there. So both them platooning in the DH spot. I don't really know how it all fits. That's going to be the biggest question mark. So I guess it's kind of to be determined because that outfield's kind of slap full with Carlson, O'Neill, and Bader. Like none of them really come out of the lineup anytime soon. Right. Can Nolan Gorman play shortstop? That is my question. No, obviously not. I'm joking, obviously, (laughs) but but yeah, that's like the the one spot where it's like, all right, if he's a shortstop, I could see them, you know, putting him over to Paul DeYoung. But yeah, it's I think the hope for him was like for Edmund not to be this hot start of the season. Obviously, all right, Nato's off to a hot start. Gold, you know, him and Goldie, they're not coming out of the lineup. You mentioned the outfielders, so yeah, I don't get it. It was already crowded. And then they went out and added Croy Dickerson and Albert Pujols, which, you know, just looking at those moves, like platooning those two, DH is not the worst thing in the world. Pujols can still mash lefties, so, and they've, he's shown that so far. So it's not a bad idea, but yet it was weird to do that, though I do like the kind of whole, you know, Pujols coming back for his last year with St. Louis, you know, kind of going out with Yachty and, and maybe even Wayne Wright. So I, I like that from the real-life perspective. But for fantasy purposes, like, all right, you got – Nolan Gorman, you got Juan Yapez, who isn't hitting for a high average right now down AAA, but he already has five home runs. You got these two guys ready. You got Lars Newbar as well. So it was kind of odd to see them go out and make these moves instead of trying to give one of these young guys a shot. But again, there's a, a lot of age on this team. So you could see definitely, you know, obviously Pujols is 42 years old. Dickerson's had his fair share of injuries as well. So I think we're, we'll see them get a chance. But yeah, when is that chance? It's definitely got to take an injury and yeah Cassis for for reference here Cassis in triple a right now is slashing 314 444 629 three home runs two doubles and 45 plate appearances more walks than strikeouts nine walks to eight strikeouts on the flip side Bobby Dahlbeck is being Bobby Dahlbeck 54.5 percent hard hit rate great 13.6 percent bail rate great but he's saying 152 one solo home run 30.6 percent strikeout rate and whiffing way too much. So nothing's changed with Dahlbeck. I, I was hoping those late season improvements, you know, when he started working with Schwarber and he saw that, you know, the last two months of the year, some of the improvements and some of the chase and, and whiff and all those metrics, contact rates, but that doesn't look like it's, it's still early. He could get hot here, but yeah, I can see, yeah, Cassis is definitely the one trending way up this list. That is for sure. Let's go over to some early season Stand. Actually, let's start with the. Let's start with get the bat out of the way. Let's start with some struggling top prospects here. We have what I think a half dozen. No, we have seven names on the list here. We got Nick Prado, Brennan Davis, Anthony Volpe, Jeter Downs, Garrett Mitchell, Reginald Preciado, and Cade Cavalli here. They're all you know notable top 100 type prospects, but off to not so great starts of the season. And there's a common trend here with at least with the hitters. It's way too many strikeouts. And Preciado, let me just show you, let's say this stat here. Preciado, yeah, he's still 18 years old in low A, so it's a little bit of aggressive assignment. 38 plate appearances, 22 strikeouts. That's a 57.9% strikeout rate. Obviously, that'll come down, but the fact that he is striking out way too much, so is Prado, so is Jeter Downs. Jeter Downs, again, is still Jeter Downs this year. Are we are we just out on Jeter Downs at this point, Chris? Because yeah. not only is he not producing at all, he's been terrible. Actually, he's obviously we got Nick York and Marcelo Mayer and, and others coming up that are just good. Pass him. They're, they're already having rankings, obviously, but they're going to pass him on the depth chart as well. So I, I don't see any. Maybe if he gets traded, but even then, I don't even know if he's a major league starter anymore. Yeah, that's uh, really the question. I just wonder if he's just uh, bench depth for. A team, he's just really gone downhill and it's sad. You know, I was always very high on downs for a long time, but you just can't hit a breaker and people have figured that out and that's the results are showing. So downs is kind of a, like a non-prospect for me at this point as he continues to get older and he's not really making any noise at all. Like he's not forcing anybody's hand at all. It, it While it's a little better this year than it was last year in AAA, still not great. He's still a sub 300 OBP. He's still striking out way way too much his contact rates if, well it's even worse than last year 51.2 percent that's atrocious oh, yeah that yeah. is not good. it was it was 63 percent last year 51.2 percent 
and a 44% K rate. Yikes, major yikes. It doesn't even matter what kind of tools he has from a power speed standpoint. If you're not making contact, it just really doesn't matter. So I'm concerned he's not walking much at all. I just don't think he's much of a prospect anymore. While I'm hesitant to write off a 23-year-old, it's really hard to see him doing much when you see all these other Red Sox prospects ascending upward that are, I would say, passing him very quickly. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying I'm 100% out, but I got one foot out the door and the second foot is doing one of those like wide receiver toe tap drags <laughs> on the sideline. So it's like barely in still. Yeah, like you and I both saw him out in the Arizona Fall League. I saw him uh, in the minor leagues here back in, I don't even remember what year it was at this point, but yeah, I, I've just never been impressed by him. And yeah, he can mash fastballs. We saw he took a Bobby Miller fastball at the right center field for the home run out in the AFL when Chris and I were out there. But yeah, he cannot hit anything that's a non-fastball. No, nothing off speed, no, no breaking pitches. He just cannot hit it. So yeah, he's outside my top 200 now, and he might even be followed. He might even be closer to like, 300 by my next update which will be in like you know next couple of weeks or so but uh, are these other guys chris are there any you know we, we talked about prado i think we share similar thoughts on prado where kind of like with downs he's gotten passed by vinnie pasquantino and he's still striking out way too often and he's definitely if, if you can capital and i wrote this in my uh what article is it oh my dynasty kind of tr- uh, stock report for fantasy pros that if you can capitalize on his resurgent 2021, plus the fact that he actually does have three, I think it was three home runs and two steals so far, kind of take those and use those as leverage to try to get, you know, whatever, another piece that you might need. I'm definitely looking to sell Prado right now because the K rate is just, I think he's still gonna be a major leaguer. It's not like Jeter Downs level, but I think he's gonna be more like a 240 type of hitter. Well, Pasquantino is the guy to definitely target him. He is off to a slightly sluggish start to the year, but Definitely Vinny P over Prado. And I'm definitely looking to, if I have any shares of Dynasty, I'm looking to sell those before everyone realizes that that K rate is has always been an issue and it's still an issue here in 2022. Yeah. And the good thing that Prado has going for him is that he's got a good glove, which is going to benefit right. him. His glove's definitely better than Pasquantino. But even Pasquantino has struggled a bit this year. So the difference is that Prado struggled last year too, minus you know, the basic stat line that you look at when you look at the home runs, his contact skills were not good last year. Like they're borderline, like where he's going to post a sub 60% contact rate in the, in the majors at this point. I mean, he's at 60.8 this year in triple a, he was 63.8 last year in, in double a and 65.6% in triple a last year. Those are all concerning. The strikeout rates continue to move up. His walk rate has gone down this year though. You know, consistently he's at least at 10% for his career. Most every stop, just 7.1% right now. But he is turning in the wrong direction. He's got big power, but you're right. The batting average is concerning. So that's a concern for me as well. I don't know what kind of player we're looking at. Like, is this like a, a Dahlbeck with a better glove? I don't know if Dahlbeck can even hit 240 or 250. So, you know, right now it's hard to say. But he's just, this feels like to me he's becoming a, true three outcome type where he's going to take a walk, strike out or hit a bomb, which doesn't play well. The, the good thing is for fantasy, he he's going to sneak some stolen bases in yep. last year. He stole 12. He's got decent speed. So he's probably looking at like six to eight in the major leagues. He's got good inst- instincts on the base. So I don't know. It's, it's hard because I think he can be a huge batting average liability for fantasy you know what name popped into my head the other day when I was thinking about Prado? And this is not a direct comp, but I'm getting some Evan White vibes here. Except I can see that. Not yep. a direct comp, but you know, similar profiles to a degree. Yep. And obviously, Evan White has gone from he, he, a couple of years ago. He was the hot, you know, almost kind of like what Prado is now. He was the hot, like, first base prospect that can come up, do some power, some speed, good glove. And then look what he's done. Yeah, he's yep. had... He had major strikeout issues at the major league level. Obviously, he's been hurt as well and hasn't played in a bit. But I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, Evan White 2.0. But I don't know. I'm starting to starting to wonder here if part of this never, you know, fully makes it. But especially with, you know, guys like they're trying to get Melendez into the lineup, who I think is a, a bet, slightly better bat, and Vinny P, who is a much better bat, it might just be all right. Those two pass him, and you know, where we, what do we do with Prado? So. Yeah, definitely trending. Another one here that I want to mention, Garrett Mitchell. And like I said, this one stings for me because I've been 
you know, beating the buy low Garrett Mitchell drum here for the entire off season. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm out, but it's very discouraging to see the same issues that plagued him at double a last year, that they're still there this year, you know, through his first 37 plate appearances, 40.5% K rate, no home runs, only two extra base hits, a double and a triple 242, 324, 333 slash line. And then the worst part, a 54.5% contact rate. So again, striking out too much contact rate is terrible. I, I don't know. It's, I still like those raw tools, like the, the raw power, even though the ground ball rate is still ex- extremely high, the speed that's there. I don't know. I, I, that's why I'm still at least a little bit in, but this has not been a great start to the season for him. It hasn't, and he's also dealt with a lot of um, injury history as well, which yeah. he's already banged up with a shoulder this year. I'm pretty sure that was what bothered him last year as well. So those things are never promising. So you factor those in. While it could be hindering performance, it's just kind of piling up when you have performance and when you have injury issues, like all those things are kind of you know affecting you, and it's, it's concerning, that's for sure. I think that there's other outfielders in the – Milwaukee Brewers system that are passing them pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's also a concern because they do have a ton of depth out there in the outfield with Joey Weimer and Edward Perez and South Frelick and Hendry Mendez. All these guys are coming after him. So I would say he's below most of those guys at this point. And, you know, even Joe Gray, who could be quick to beat him to Milwaukee, you know, Joe Gray's got a good glove. I won't say he's got, you know, his bat could be better at this point, but. Gray's yeah. got a really good glove in center field and moves well. So all these things factor in as I look at Joe Gray's numbers and they're not very good this year. So, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's not ideal for Mitchell at all. So it is concerning. He, he's bumping down. He bumped down for me last year as he struggled throughout the season and he's going to bump down a little further for me in this next update. Yeah. Same here. He might be outside my top 100. Definitely. At best, back in top 100, but probably outside of it at this point. The last two names here, Brennan Davis and Anthony Volpe. Volpe is the one on this list that I'm not worried about at all. I 100% believe in what we saw last year. I believe in the tools. I believe he could be plus hit, plus power, plus speed, You know, plus being in Yankee Stadium and that great lineup. I, I just think there's a, a fantasy dynamo here waiting to happen. So I'm, I'm not worried that he's off to a a sluggish start at double A. He's still kind of young for the level. You know, double A Eastern League is notoriously a pitcher-friendly league. It's really pitcher-heavy. Obviously, it's cold weather. He's in Somerset right now, which is New Jersey, you know, playing all the teams. You know, he's in, they're playing Hartford, Connecticut this week. So it's a lot of cold-weather games. Not surprising. I think he's a, a warm-weather kid, if I recall. Is he from, like, Florida I want to say, let me pull mm, that up. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you, but I'm pulling it up here. He is from, oh, okay. No, scratch that. He's actually from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, Del Barton. Okay, so scratch that. But still, still, it's still cold weather, whether you're used to it or not. It's hard to get going. I said the game last night I was at was just cold and drizzly and miserable. So I'm not worried at all. But Brennan Davis, I'm, I tweeted about this. The contact rates, it's a lot of the issues that he had last year are there again. Lower contact rate below 60%. K rate is close to 30%. I think he's still top 25, but I bumped him down. I think he's like 23rd, 24th in my rankings right now. So I think he's 260, 25 home runs and five to 10 steals. Is that good? Yes. Is that top 10 where I had him for a good amount of time? No, I don't think so. So he's another one where if you can uh, still sell him for top 10 prospect price tag, I definitely would look to do that. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree here. I think that there's some concerns with the contact skills. And we saw that, you know, beginning last year when he bumped to double A, you know, he he dominated in the lower levels, which was kind of to be expected. But then as he bumped to double A, and he even young for double A and triple A, we saw some holes in his swing, I guess, as the strikeout rate did balloon. While his strikeout rate was a little better in triple A, actually the in the contact rate did go up. It's still not ideal. And this year the strikeout rate is is coming back. Good thing is he's walking in a high clip, so that obviously gives you slight benefit there. He's hitting the ball hard again this year so far, pulling it pretty heavily, actually, more more pull heavy. But we're not getting those great results that we want to see from Davis. But I do think I can come around. It's just 50, 50 plate appearances, two home runs so far. He's been caught stealing a 214 average. 
I still like Davis, but like you, I think he's probably a prospect that is more in the 10 to 20 range in the top 10, maybe even outside the top 10. So, or sorry, outside the top 20, but it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. He's still young, just 22 years old. So give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that we can see him bounce back. But again, now the Cubs have Sai Suzuki out there. And so, you know, there's less of a, push for him to be promoted even though i think they're still playing jason hayward every day so it's not like <laughs> it's not like anybody's blocking davis at all. jason hayward he's always going to be playing every day somewhere for some weird reason that i can't figure out uh, but uh, yeah and, that, and with suzuki's emergence and dominance yeah that's why i had davis like, i think it was lower than that top 10 stash list ninth or 10th just because yeah he is struggling and they don't have a, an immediate need for him the cubs are actually doing pretty well right now better than better than expected i should say but yeah, I'm going to do, okay, let's do a little, would you rather, okay? I got to fit one of these would you rathers in every episode here. Put you on the spotlight here, Mr. Clegg. Dynasty League, right now, who would you rather have? Brennan Davis or your boy, Miguel Vargas? I just feel like M- Miguel Vargas would be more consistent. So I tend to lean there, but I do think it's close. They're kind of some different players, but I trust Vargas's like feel to hit a little better. And I think the power is emerging. So it, it makes me lean that way, but I understand the upside is a lot higher with Brendan Davis. Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit, but I don't know. I think there's similar power speed guys, and that's why I have Vargas ahead of my rankings now, but only by a couple spots. But Vargas uh, does have sneaky speed. He does. Like he's very sneaky speed. All right, one more. I'll, I'll go with an outfielder this time. How about Davis or Alec Thomas? Sterling Davis. I think that Thomas is more the floor player, though. So it is. It's close. I understand that there's they're different type of players, but while I do think Thomas is on the rise and will be up soon, I'm gonna lean with Davis here. I lean Thomas, but it's close. Yeah, Davis definitely has more upside. Thomas higher floor. You gotta balance that out, but I will lean Thomas. But all right, let's go ahead and hit a quick break here. We'll go back on the other side and get in some more positives here with some early season standouts, both on the hitting and pitching side of things. A lot of fun names to talk about here. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get in some early season prospect standouts now. And there are a lot of them, a lot of guys off the hot starts here. We got a bunch of names on the list. We won't go like super in depth on all these guys, obviously, but we'll talk about a lot of them. And starting out, there's which something that warms it's warms my soul to see so many Red Sox names on our list here. And not and Nick York is not one of them. We got set I always gotta butcher the same. Is it Sadat? Chris, how, how do you say that name? Sedane. It's Sedane. Thank you. I always want to say Sedan. I don't know why. Sedane, Rafaela, Tristan Cass, who we already talked about, Alex Benellis, who Chris has gotten some live looks at, and Matthew Lugo are all off to very hot starts here. And Marcelo Mayer is off to a good start as well. And really, you know, I, we put down the big four prep shortstops of Mayer, Watson, Fowler, and Brady House all off to very good starts this year. We got Nolan Gorman and, and Juan Yapez off to hot starts, at least in the power department for St. Louis. Matt McLean off to a really hot start. 2021 FYPD guy who looks like he might be underrated at this point. Off to a good start out there in Cincinnati. And Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, who kind of lost some of his prospect luster over the last couple of years. He's off to a really hot start this year and walking a ton here. But let's start with those Red Sox guys here, Chris. Rafaela has... I, I think he's still the only prospect with four plus home runs and four plus steals in the minor leagues right now. 21 year old outfielder in high A for Boston right now. How high up your rankings do you think he, like, we'll, we'll probably both do our, our rankings updates in what, like early May or so? Yeah. So about two ish weeks, two, three weeks or so. How high do you see Rafaela climbing in your rankings? Do you think he's top 250 for you? He's top, I've got him top 250 right now, just right inside. Okay. Of it. 
And if nice. this continues, and it's going to go even higher because what he does beyond the box score is just really relevant. I think that's what most people want to do is just look at the box score and see what he's done. And when you look at the box score, you see 391, 429, 826. <laughs> you know, we see five home runs and four stolen bases. Like the basics are, are really good, but he's such a better ball player beyond that. And, you know, by the end of this week, I'll have had five or six live looks at him. And he does so many things well. And people look and they're saying, there's no way this five foot eight, 152 pound guy is this legit. He's not that. Like, you, you it's important to understand that, like, they don't update these height and weights for significant years, especially like with a international, with like international players like this. Like, they just don't update them at all. And so that's important to know that he's not five foot eight, 152. That's just not who he is anymore. He's gotten bigger. I'd argue. 511 at least and then probably 170 still runs really well he hasn't obviously lost any pep in his step from getting bigger and what he did last year too like he had some pop last year he had 10 home runs last year he was 23 of 26 on the base pass which is really important and he made some major mechanical adjustments in his swing you know he kept his hands higher made an adjustment with his lower half basically to try to generate more power and have more balance in his swing. And it's, and it's really paid off. The good thing is he can play literally anywhere. There's reports that he is the, the best defensive outfielder that the Red Sox have seen in a long, long time. He also plays shortstop pretty well, third base, second base. He can play all over the diamond, which is a huge plus for him. Controls the strikes on well. He makes really good contact. He made good contact last year, and that's improved this year as well. He's going to naturally run higher Babbitt because he puts so many balls in play. He doesn't swing and miss often. He doesn't strike out that much. Now, the power, you see five home runs. It's been impressive considering just 49 plate appearances. I'm not going to say he's going to be a 30 home run bat, but I do think you're looking at a 2020 potential here with a good field mm -hmm. to hit, good contact skill. So if this trend continues with him, then I do think that he's going to bump up because while we're talking about this from a fantasy perspective and a real-life perspective, He's going to find somewhere to play every single day because of how good his glove is, how quick he is in the field, what a great athlete he is, and his arm, his absolute cannon for an arm. So he's going to find a spot, and he's going to run with it. I don't think he sticks in Greenville very long, so i got to get my looks while I can because he's going to be up your way pretty yep. soon. He's 21 years old. Looking forward to dominating. that. Yeah, so he's, he's going to be bumping up soon, so you'll get to enjoy him too. But, yeah, he's one that's I think could be top 100 by you know later this season. Totally agree. And yet you, you get all the good Red Sox hitters right now. I get all the pitchers like the Sea Dogs lineup is not good. It's think of at a double A level, like the Oakland Athletics lineup compared to the rest of the major league lineups. That's what we're running out there. It's like our best, the best hitters are like Tyler Dearden and like Cole Cottom. Like this was the here. same lineup I saw last year. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like I, I got, you know, I got Brian Bayo. I got Jay Groom who looked atrocious, but uh, regardless, I got a uh, Brandon Walter, Chris Murphy. So yeah, the pitching makes that for it, thankfully. But uh, yeah, hopefully I get York and all these guys later and Rafaela later in the season. Yeah. Like that power speed one and maybe center field is his long-term home because that's like the, the one spot for Boston. Like we don't have like, yeah, we've, we've been playing Kike out there and whatnot, but you know, we don't have like, all right, this guy is our center fielder of the future. So that maybe that's Raphael. Who knows? But yeah, definitely very exciting to see you know, him and all these other Red Sox off to hot starts the season. That's for sure. And Benelis too, like this, I, I still am a little upset about the, the deal to get, trade away Renfro because we yeah we signed story but I thought we'd get another outfielder like a Cassianos or a Suzuki or whatever to soften that blow so we're still kind of charting out there and a, a kind of a okay outfield but not as good as it could have been with, with Renfro but on on the flip side with the prospects we got back with Benellis and David Hamilton who's been tearing it up down here in double A he's actually actually the best hitter we have in the lineup he's hitting for power speed uh, running all over the place Benellis is off to a really good start and this is a guy that, you know, this is starting to look like the banalis we saw, Chris, like earlier on in his collegiate days when he was considered, you know, a top 10 pick entering his final season there before he kind of struggled a little bit. But he's hitting for power, good feel for hit as well. This could be another guy that's a, uh, I could see him being top 100 by maybe even the end of the year if he keeps raking. Yeah, I, I could see it happening. And, and that's what I tweeted the other day is that he's getting back to those, you know, glory Louisville days where he was considered to be a top 10 prospect for last year's draft. But his season was, 
you know, rough last year. And we see this happen. Like Judd Fabian was the same example where Fabian really struggled and, and fell. And now we're seeing Fabian just absolutely dominating. You know, I'll be, he went back to Florida, but you know, Pinellas got drafted, I think 76, somewhere around there overall. Yeah. But anyway, um, the Red Sox have, have gotten a good deal, I think, in that trade. Vanellis has big pop. The contact skills are up and down, but I do think that he's proving himself. He's hitting for decent average. He's getting on base at a high clip. He's walking a lot. He's showing good plate discipline. He even chipped in a couple steals, too. While one of them was a double steal, it's, it's still worked out. Raphael is still third. It, it still counts in the box score, baby. It does. <laughs> Raphael is still third, and Benella stole behind him. But, hey, it works. I don't know how much Benella's actually steals, but not a big deal anyway. If he's going to be hitting, hitting for power. I've been really impressed with what I've seen. He can go opposite field. He can crank it to the pool side. So, yeah, everything in this profile is you know showing signs of improvement, I think. Yeah, and that's really good to see, too, because – just adds another and he, he can play both corners. He's played both corners. So that definitely helps. But then again, hopefully fingers crossed, we resigned uh, Rafael Devers long-term. They should, if they don't, you know, people will be outside of Fenway park with pitchforks, but, and then obviously we likely will have Tristan cast as a first base. So it's kind of a question of where does Benelis play. But you know, at that point, by the time he's up, you know, probably next year or the year after, J.D. Martinez will probably be gone. So maybe he's a DH or maybe they move, but Cass is a DH or whatever. So that could end up working out where the first base, third base DH are Cassis, Devers, and Benelis in some combo. And you can give all three of those guys reps to DH too, just to keep them fresh and out of the field every now and then. So yeah, definitely the uh, early returns for Benelis are very, very promising. Now let's shift over to the big four prep shortstops here who are all absolutely dominating the start. They're all hitting for high averages. But the two that are hitting for you know, power and speed as well are Cleo Watson, who has four home runs and two steals, and Jordan Lawler, who has three home runs and five steals. Now, obviously, you could rank these four any which way back in, you know, when we were doing FYPD rankings, and I wouldn't have had an issue with it. And you saw probably all four of these guys at one point being ranked number one out of the four. But for fantasy purposes, Chris, I'm starting to wonder, is there a slight separation here and I've adjusted this in my prospect rankings. The two I have the highest right now are uh, Watson and Lawler. Again, still all very close. They're all very, very talented. Love them all. But the fact that they can, they have the highest power speed blends, I believe, at least personally, out of these four, I'm starting to lean that way, that I'd rather go Watson and Lawler slightly over the other two. I'd love to have all four, obviously, but I'm thinking that those two are going to be the best two for fantasy. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, the... Power speed definitely gives them that edge for sure. Watson, while I had him number one for that reason for FIPD, and his contact and his strikeout rates are concerning me right now. But when he does make contact, it's been really good. And he's still hitting for good average despite that. So he's putting a lot of balls in play. He's making some things happen, stealing bases. He's in home runs. He's just been really impressive so far. But he got to stop striking out at such a high level. 42%, 54% contact rate. Small sample, 38 plate appearances. We'll take it with a grain of salt. Lawler's been more impressive. You know, we've seen him also hitting for power and speed. He's stolen six bags, hit three home runs, but he's hitting for, I said Watson. Watson's hit for good average too, but Lawler's hitting 389 so far on the year. Looks to have put that injury behind him. So that's always good to see as well. And he just keeps on hitting, which is good. You know, I was a little lower on him. There were some concerning metrics that, you know, I saw from high school with his swing and miss and his contact, but He's kind of put some of that behind him at this point. You know, he's striking out 19% of the time, has a 75% contact rate. So those are all positives for sure. So, yeah, I think with the power speed here, you could argue that either could be the top from, from this group. And another thing I wanted to mention, too, you know, people were talking about how 2021 was kind of a downdraft class compared to both 2020 and 2022. And obviously, 2022 was loaded and 2020 was a very good class. But I think people were are slightly sleeping on this draft class. Like there was a lot of good, especially on the offensive side of things. And obviously you had Jack Leiter and Jackson Job as well, but offensively, like I have Watson and Lawler both right around top, top 20 overall or top 25, at least mayors in the, in the late back end of the, of the twenties and house, I think in my mid thirties. So this is a very good draft class, I think. And I think both Watson and Lawler have top 10 prospect potential by, Mid-season, obviously, yeah, Watson is going to have to cut that K rate down. Uh, I, but I think he could be 
it, I, I think there's more potential for him with the bat as in terms of like with the hit tool, I should say to be like a better jazz Chisholm. I think the little more power there, maybe a little less speed, but slightly better hit tool. I potentially, so maybe we're looking at a better jazz Chisholm here, which is very, very exciting. And Lawler, you know, could be 2025 type of guy. I know Chris Walsh, our buddy has been very high on Lawler as well. So yeah, definitely some early, good early returns here from the, uh, the big four prep shortstops. That is for sure. And then Matt McClain, too, he is off to a, a hot start. And like I said, he could be one that is the kind of the more, most underrated guy from this draft class, in term, at least in terms of the top guys that were drafted. Uh, he's already up to double A through his first 40 plate appearances, hitting 314, 400, 800, has four doubles, two triples, three home runs, and a pair of steals as well. Striking out 20, about 25% of the time, but walking 12.5% of the time as well. Is he a guy that's just going to be slept on, Chris? Because he's like doesn't have the pizzazz of the those four that we just talked about. But it's always a guy that just just contributes. I think he could be a guy that's you know close to tw- around twenty home runs, fifteen to twenty steals, good average, good OBP. I, th- I think he's going to be slept on continuously. Yeah, he'll, he slept on for a couple reasons because he was a first round pick out of high school, opted to go to UCLA, and then really never was elite at UCLA, I guess I'd say. He was yeah, he was, he was better his freshman year and then kind of fell off. But I think the expectations were always high and it never like came to that. And then you have these other four like we just talked about where there's just so much going on here. And so it kind of lets him fly under the radar just a bit. But no, I do think he's a great hitter. He's great field to hit. He's going to hit for average. He also shows good plate discipline as well. He's going to w- draw his walks. He's going to steal bases. I think the power is there. There's enough power in this profile. You know, this year he's got a 41.7% hard hit rate, which is good. Here's the even better thing to see medium hit rate of 54.2%, leaving his soft hit rate just 4.2%. That's really, really low. It means he's consistently hitting the ball hard, if not hard, you know, making good contact consistently. So that really yeah. speaks to what McLean is doing. He's pulling the ball a little more this year, which could be him getting to that power a little more. So, yeah, I do think he's kind of going to fly under the radar, but he shouldn't be. I think you can get him much cheaper than any of these guys, and he's going to be a really solid contributor. I totally agree. The last couple of names here on the list, two Minnesota Twins, Christian Encarnacion Strand and Emmanuel Rodriguez. That's right. I, I thought Rodriguez was older than he was. He's still only 19 years old, but he's off to a, an awesome start to the year. He's doing everything well offensively down there in low A. 41 plate appearances, 321, 537, 786 slash line. He's got 12 walks to nine strikeouts, 29.3% walk rate, and also has four home runs and two steals as well. And then Encarnacion Strand off to a even maybe even a better start, 450, 476, 875 slash line in 42 plate appearances up in high A, two doubles, five home runs, and two steals. Only walking 4.8% of the time, though. So a little aggressive there, but definitely two prospects on the rise. I could see both these guys being, I'm trying to think where I would put them in my rankings here. I could see both of them being top 200 in this next update and maybe even pushing top 100 by the end of the season if this continues. How about you, how about you Chris? Where do you, where do you have these guys? Yeah, I certainly agree where you know Rodriguez has really been impressive, and you really like to see that. I mean, he signed in 2019. And obviously didn't have the 2020 season. So last year was not great. He played in rookie ball some. Only got 144 plate appearances. And it wasn't great. But he's really taking that step forward this year. He's doing a lot of things well. He's making better contact. The powers come around. He's at 29.3% walk rate right now, which is just absolutely nuts. But it is what it is. So when he has made contact, it's been really good. And even he had that power last year too. I mean, he hit nine home runs. In 118 at bats, he's got four and 28 so far this year. He's going to steal a few bases too. I think that uh, he's one that's going to be moving up pretty significantly. He's he's doing a lot of things well. All right, who would you rather have? I was just looking at my prospect rankings: Emmanuel Rodriguez or Jeter Downs. Hmm, probably Rodriguez. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You know, obviously, you know, a year ago it would have been crazy to think that, but yeah, definitely trending opposite ways in in a big way big big up for rodriguez right now and down is trending down in a big way too so yeah i think i'd, I'd go with rodriguez he's still younger got the upside you, you know you don't know what he's gonna be you know he, 
You know, so that element of the unknown that we all love downs, we know what he is at this point. He's not good. He's can mash fastballs and that's it, but not, not to get back on the, on the downs train here. But yeah, I think I would take uh, Rodriguez as well. Let's go over to the pitching side of things. A lot of intriguing arms off the hot starts and a lot of Cleveland arms. We already kind of talked about them, you know, Spino, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, Battenfield, a lot of good Cleveland arms to start the season. So we'll kind of skip over them, but we got four others on the list here. Uh, Andrew Painter of the Phillies, Jared Jones of the Pirates, Kyle Harrison of the Giants, and Jared Schuster. I love saying that last name, Schuster of your Atlanta Braves, Chris. Painter has been absolutely dominant so far. In, it's only been seven innings, two starts. I get that, but zero earned runs, only three hits three walks, and 16 strikeouts. So he's the big 6-7 righty. Got the really good four-pitch mix here. Solid com- command, for his, at least for his age as well, relative to age. So he's a guy that I think could be he just as good. You know, People were kind of going after you know, Jackson Joe, but I don't know if there's a big difference long-term between Jackson Joe and Painter. I think the upside is very comparable with these two. And obviously, you can get Painter for a much lower price right now. Not, it won't be a low price, but lower than Job. So right now, Painter is one of my favorite pitchers to target in dynasty leagues. Yeah, I think so. I think that I think he's already more polished than Job. Job's Agreed, definitely yeah. got great stuff, but Painter's got the better command, and he had great command coming out of the the class, and that's been obviously really good too. And you mentioned he's in high A in nineteen and just absolutely dominating. And those are things that you absolutely love to see. And where he's just been, you know, throwing the gas. He has a good four pitch mix as well. Yeah, the changeup's a really good pitch here and proving and getting the job done. I mean, he's got 16 Ks, three walks, and seven innings so far, which has been really good. He hasn't allowed a run. Those are all things you love to see. Obviously, we'd love to get some looks at him. I need to go back and watch more film on him from those starts earlier in the year. But, man, he is uh, definitely lighting up the early stat line. So I'm really liking what I've seen so far in the highlights. Again, I want to see the whole starts. Like, highlights only paint such a – small right. picture of who a pitcher is. Cause you're only seeing the strikeouts. You're not seeing the pitch sequencing. You're not seeing how he's, you know, pitching deeper into counts. Like those are things that you want to see. So I do think that painter's got a lot of good going for him. I think he's really going to move up and you're right. I think he's much cheaper than Job. You can go out and get him for a reasonable cost. Yeah. I would highly recommend doing that. Another name, uh, right. That's dominating right now. Kyle Harrison through his first two starts, nine innings pitch, four hits, zero earned runs, 16 strikeouts. And I think most importantly here, even more so than the four hits, no runs, 16 Ks, only one walk. This is a guy that obviously has the stuff. Last year struck out a ton of batters, but the walk rate was, I think it was running around 11 and a half percent last year, which isn't terrible, but it's not good. Like That needs to come down. And so far, again, two starts, nine innings, get it. But the one walk is very encouraging because if he can drop that walk rate down even to like you know seven eight percent, which is that's kind of considered average right in that range. If he can get down to that range, Kyle Harrison's a top fifty overall prospect hands down. Oh yeah, no, I certainly agree. I think that he was he was already top seventy five for me preseason. He showed a lot of good last year. He was really really dominant. And we're seeing even better as whole this year. He's got a negative FIP right now. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Yeah, a negative. When, when your FIP has that little uh, horizontal dash in front yeah. of it, that's uh, pretty good. Yeah. So you mentioned that the K's and walks are obviously there. His slider is just downright nasty. It's it's so good. I think he's a top fifty prospect. He was t- seventy five for me preseason. No reason he doesn't bump up to top fifty if this continues. So yeah, I'm all on board with Kyle Harrison. Another thing to mention: how young he is. He's just twenty years old. He was dominating last year at 19 and we're seeing this really come forward this year. So I'm really excited with what I've seen with Kyle Harrison. Yeah. For me, he was 95 for me just because, you know, that walk rate was a bit concerning for me. So I had him a little bit lower than than Chris did, but he was still 95 for me in my preseason update and a little spoiler. I have him 57 right now. Obviously this is still always adjusting. So he won't be 57th on the, on the nose here when I uh, do my update in a couple of weeks, but yeah, definitely pushing top 50. And I can, I can see him getting up in top 50, absolutely. Chris, real quick, would you rather have Kyle Harrison or who's a pitcher in this range? Uh, Yuri Perez. I think Kyle Harrison, everybody's going to go with Yuri, but 
I'll take Harrison. I think he's a little safer. Yuri's got obviously tremendous upside, but I also think there's more risk than most people are willing to admit here in the profile. So I'll take Harrison in a close one. How about Harrison or Cade Cavalli? Harrison, much safer as well. Yeah. Cavalli, and he's like one that we didn't even really talk about. He's off to a bad start this year. Already given up eight earned runs in his first two starts, and I think it was nine innings. So, yeah, Kid Cavalli, he's a guy I saw last year. And while well, he pitched, you know, well overall, like the stat line was pretty decent. I forget what it was, but maybe probably like, you know, two inning, uh, two earned and six or something like that. But command control was, wasn't the greatest. So, Cavalli uh, might be a guy that gets limited by that. He'll probably be a guy that gets the K's, but. Maybe he's a number three, number four starter, or maybe I think there's a little bullpen risk with Kigdavali as well. People don't want to admit, but I think there's, I won't say more than 25% bullpen risk, but definitely a little bit of bullpen risk there for sure. Moving on here, Jared Jones, a couple of actually a couple of Jared's here, Jared Jones, Jared Schuster. So let's talk about them together since they have the same first name. Who are you higher on long-term here, Chris, Jared Jones or Jared Schuster? I think Schuster is the higher floor play. I think Jones has a lot of upside that you know we haven't really seen yet, but you know he was pretty dominant in high school, and he flew under the radar. He went 44th in that 2020 draft, and then he wasn't great last year in low A, and he made 15 starts, 66 innings, 4.64 ERA, and a 1.47 WHIP. Struck out a ton of batters. He struck out 103 in 66 innings, which is good. The walk rate was honestly pretty good, too. He only walked 34 batters, and this year we're seeing that improve even more. While it's just been two starts this year, still been really good. So he's one that hopefully I'll get to see. You know, Greensboro comes down here to Greenville within the next two months, so hopefully we'll be getting to see him live. But, yeah, the strikeout stuff has looked extremely good for Jared Jones. Very dominant, but to go back to Schuster, I think we're looking at a little higher floor here. The Braves went back-to-back years where they drafted uh, Wake Forest pitchers first round with Schuster first round 2020 and Ryan Cusick, who they traded to Oakland in the Matt Olson deal you know, last year's draft in the first round. Schuster's now in double-A, which we made a double-A last year at the end of the season, and he's looked really polished in his two starts, throwing 10 innings, has 17 Ks to two walks, and a sub-one whip and ERA is obviously really, really solid there. So you know, overall... Both profiles look good. I'm willing to say that Schuster has a little higher floor, but I think Jones has the higher ceiling here. Yeah, I, I lean Jones because I, I think there's a bigger gap between their ceilings and there is the floor. And yeah, I totally agree that Schuster has the higher floor. He's a bit more polished, a couple years older in Double A. Jones down in High A, but yeah, I think I would lean Jones. And I, I'm, I'm a, I'm fan of the you know the Pittsburgh organization and their player development right now. I think they're they have a good team in place there, led by Ben Charrington. So, you know. I think Jones could be – I think Juice should be a, a solid number four starter you know, in the major leagues. But I think Jones could be a, a good number three. There's a little bit more upside there. He's got 15 Ks and eight and a third so far, only one uh, earned run allowed and three walks. I said it in high A. One oh eight ERA, 0.96 whip. So I will lean Jones as well. And I think that's going to wrap us up here. A lot of fun prospects talked about today. And, of course, we'll have even more on Monday, including our live looks at a lot of fun prospects that were Chris and I at plenty of games this week. Definitely helps for me that it's uh, school vacation week, so I can drag the kids to the game and not have to worry about bedtime, which is always fun. Uh, but, again, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at Cross 4 and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, get up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost on the Gambit DC app, online, or at any Gambit DC retail location throughout the district. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the whole field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please buy responsibly.